Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity, and I'm your host, Gary Turner. I'm also the founder of HexoChange, and HexoChange is a transformational change practice dedicated to helping you connect to yourself, to others, and to systems at large in a more meaningful way, thus helping us turn around our workplace and planetary challenges and accelerating how alive we all feel in every aspect of our lives. This track is called Kaleidoscope and was created for me personally and for HexoChange by Peter Griffiths, one half of the amazing Mind Takeaway. I hope you enjoy this exploration and please do share it on your social platforms so we can bring more humanity to more people. Hope to speak to you soon. Welcome to Value Through Vulnerability. This is a podcast dedicated to putting the human back into humanity. And today I've got some really cool humans with me today. First of all, we have a founder of Humans First, Mike Vacanti, as the podcast since episode 100 is boosted by Humans First. We also have Deborah Abbott, who is a very cool human. I had the pleasure to meet at the Ignite conference uh, last October. She's facilitating change for human-centered cultures. I'm so really looking forward to learning more about that. And our good friend, Reese. Thomas, who is founder of True Self Consulting. So welcome to the podcast, both. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Gary. It's always good to uh, share a bit of time, have a chin wag with you and, and, and Mike, and uh, met Debs recently as well. So looking forward to this. Fantastic. Well, it's nice to get you on the other side of the mic as well, uh, Reese. So yeah. as, we get, as we get going, Deborah, would you mind just sharing just a two-minute intro? So you know, what's taking you towards this passion for facilitating change for, for human-centered cultures? Yeah, um, I, uh, <laughs> okay, so here we go. Um, well, I've um, always been, um, how should I say, brought towards serving others. I, I'm always bringing the, the, the people that I'm with in front of me first and to see, okay, how can I best? And that probably comes from um, my childhood because we moved, we went from uh, living in England, we moved to, uh, to Switzerland for a year, different language, different school. And then we moved to Germany for three years. Again, new language, new school, new friends, new everything. And then we moved to France, a new language, new school, new everything. And all this before the age of 18. Mm. So um, obviously one of the things that I took away was obviously adapting and how can I best adapt? And uh, so this brings out my number one key Gallup strength, which is um, strategic. So I'm always looking to, um, I've got all these sort of uh, sensors out there and um, I seek to, to adapt myself to who I'm speaking with. We talk about calibrating with others. And so this has, um, obviously I went off to the usual business school, la di da di da project management career. And then one day, boom, I decide that it's not what I need and where should I go? So I went on to a huge career um, coaching journey, if you like, and actually more than just a career coaching journey, a bit more than that. And I went back to university and um, went for executive coaching. And then I went into um, coach training for small groups. And uh, then I discovered um, facilitation. And for me, facilitation is magic because you're working with the people in the room. You're not telling people, okay, so here I'm here, I'm at the front, so you're gonna listen to me and uh, you're gonna do as I say. So actually it's completely like the other flip, it's like totally flipped over. And that's such a beauty. And so always having the human at the center of everything is for me the only way to go forward and to really have, uh, and that brings about all my passion, my passion to others and, and create um, collective, 
creativity, collective, anything, anything is possible when you're together. And um, so that's, yeah, so from my passion and also my values, you asked me what my values were the other day, young Gary, and it's all about growth and connectedness. And so I, these two values are reflected in what I do every day. I love that so much. And I, it really tickled me actually, because when he sent me back that message, I was like, oh, my two are the same. <laughs> there we are. How, how fascinating. So thanks for that introduction. That's wonderful. Uh, Reese, would you mind introducing yourself as well? That'd be awesome. Yeah, sure. Uh, thank you, Deborah. That was great. Uh, it's great to see that you guys are connected on so many levels. Um, so for me, my life was carefree, fun. It was all about me until a certain age when I had a sort of traumatic personal experience, which sort of changed everything. I kind of took me a bit of time to get through that and work past that. It wasn't a burnout, but it was something very, very difficult to get through. But um, it was only recently that I decided to embark on this sort of personal development journey, probably about 18 months ago, getting into sort of coaching, working with some people, meeting great minds like yourselves, joining groups, going to workshops, experiencing that magic that comes in a facilitation process. Not then as a facilitator, but just enjoying the the general atmosphere and the the possibility that anything is 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 capable. So um, I was learning about emotional intelligence with another friend of ours, Teresa, who was who you know on the podcast with me. Um, <clears throat> we were working towards leadership development. I think it's the thing that drives me. It was a question someone asked me before. You know, where does that come from? I haven't really been a leader of a big team or anything, but what I have had is, is experience of bad leaders. And I think that you either come from a position of not knowing or a position of knowing. And I think that sometimes me not coming from a sort of strict guideline with all these uh, ideas of how things should be actually freed me to think about, you know, what things could be. And that is kind of what I've brought together and true self coaching, true self consulting, whether it's remote one-to-one, um, by zoom or whether it's in person going in working with the company working with the team trying to find that magic as uh, as deb said so <clears throat> that's a little bit about where i'm at in terms of emotional intelligence i've actually gone a little bit more than that like you gary i've had a bit of a sort of another awakening again in, the, in this last six eight weeks and i'm going more into the sort of spiritual side of it i'm looking at spiritual intelligence so sq there's a new well, it's not necessarily new but it's uh, something new to me and i'm exploring that and and trying to establish the difference between uh, so ego and the soul. So trying to connect less with the ego and connect more with the soul and see that, how that can make a difference and look about how my coaching can maybe help in a sort of healing and, uh, and guiding sort of way rather than a sort of taught teaching, coaching directive sort of way. It's more feeling, you know, much as you do with this, with the show as we do on ours, follow the energy, see what happens and then follow your intuition. It's, it's so fascinating for me. Like, thank you both for introducing yourselves. I, just like, <laughs> I really hope that people just listen. How unscripted and how organic are both of your worlds now around like that facilitation to create the magic with Debs? You're looking at the spiritual intelligence. You know, it's all about actually connectivity. Like, it's not about, and I've got to bring Mike in for his container busting. So I just think this just speaks brilliantly, Mike, <laughs> to one of your big passions around like breaking these containers that we've allowed ourselves to be stuck in with for so long. Yeah, I love that. I mean, it's, a, it's expansive exploration, right? It's, it's where do we go from here because not accepting the limitations that have been forced on us, um, not accepting the norms that have been 
um, put around us. Um, and so I, I love that. Um, you know, I, and, and as they were introducing, it was, it was like, gosh, how would I introduce myself? And, and I, I determined that I, I'm, I'm just Gary's bag carrier. <laughs> and, and it's, it's actually a really happy place to be too. And, and especially now in this virtual world, the bags are really, really light. Easy to carry. Um, no, I, I think of, I think of that and I make the carry the bags joke um, for the reason that we've been forced to carry burdens with us to capitulate to a system that no longer serves us. And what I love about the expansive ex the journeys that both of you are on is it's breaking out of those limitations and exploring where you can lead others and empowering others to find their maturity and start to lead themselves. And, and um, um, so I commend you both for the diligence it takes to practice those teachings and create that journey for others. So I, um, I, I think this is really fun to be in this conversation. And Mike, I've just remembered what it is I forgot just earlier, now that I'm <laughs> listening to you, <laughs> on, the, on the back of what you had said in uh, the first part um, uh, the, at the beginning, which is having come out the, come out the other end after burnout, uh, and uh, when I wrote my small bio to, to, to Gary um, the, the other day, I realized that actually, you know, burnout and um, I would say mental well-being in the workplace is no longer um, an option. Oh yeah, no, I'll pick that one because I'm fairly good. I'd like to find out a bit more about it. I'll go on a two-week course. Um, it's no longer an option. And in fact, it's and where, where, I, where I see, because I talk a lot about responsibility and leadership, it's a fundamental responsibility to care for the people that you employ. It's no longer an accessory or like, um, you know, um, yeah, one of the options that you could choose as a leader, or I just don't have the time for it. <coughs> Excuse me. But it's actually, it's, it, and, and for those who, who continue, cultivating these and, and or just tolerating these um, toxic environments is for me, I can say it's criminal because what's happening is all these people who are subject to these uh, toxic environments for weeks, for months, for years, they bring it home and, and, and that impacts society. It impacts our children at home. It impacts um, the people that we're living with, the relationships that we have. It is criminal and it goes back to what you said right at the beginning you're talking about the deaths and the deaths that are linked to people who you or the, the book that you, you uh, I, I remembered that book dying, dying for a paycheck it's yeah. exactly that so it's no burnout is no longer a question as I like, oh it's like a sideline you know like it's like kind of like a luxury um, to know about it it's not that anymore it should be in the center of and because every the human centric organizations are those who have understood that the livelihood of all and the lifeblood of the organizations are its people and nothing else. Yeah, and I like that. And to help the reader, I mean, to help the listeners um, come back in. So, you know, all of you, um, we did have a pre-chat as we were setting up before we hit, hit record here. And we were, we were talking about that burnout. And, and um, you know, it was, Debs was, was sharing the story about dropping into that, which I would love to explore more your experience with that. But I had just shared that over the last 18 months through the human's first conversations and you know the live events, and then the many people that I've had a chance to interact with, 
how many dozens of stories and relationships with people I've developed where I hear the depth of those experiences that have been truly devastating and life-changing for these people. And, and then we, we dropped into how common that is and, you know, exploring the work of this, um, that Jeffrey Pfeffer um, writes in his book, Dying for a Paycheck, that comes out of the Stanford research that was done. And, you know, that same research has been referred to um, Heather Hansen Wickman and her Evolved Executive book. Um, she was on the podcast, uh, you know, coming up here, it'll be released. And um, uh, Bob Chapman refers to that research in, 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 uh, in, in his work. He exemplifies that caring for people. Um, he, you know, the, I think there's leaders out there now that are showing the way. Gary Ridge, Bob Chapman, there's, there's many others that are showing that um, it is a responsibility beyond what's recognized now. And what was thought of as, um, you know, mental um, fitness or, or um, fortitude challenges and dismissed by employers for so long, um, now um, is, they're coming to the recognition that in many cases, they're the cause of that angst and that trouble and that mental fitness, that those challenges, um, not the, you know, not the, um, it wasn't the people that came in and, and, uh, and struggled. It was healthy people coming in and then learning to struggle or becoming um, afflicted really by the environments that they were coming into. So I, I think you state that really well. It's very important. You know, we look at the deaths. Um, I'm rambling now, but, um, you know, 120,000 unnecessary deaths happen every year in the United States in toxic environments. Um, there's Mayo research that says that your boss has a greater effect on your health than your doctor. Um, there's, um, you know, we're in the middle of this pandemic and everything's locked down and we think of, you know, the, the tragedy that um, people are dying from this virus. But it's dwarfed by the number of people that die just by getting up, getting on the bus and showing up at work in toxic environments, working for bad bosses. And there's been no accountability for that. And I think it's a crisis that um, it's time to address. I love, I love that. We've, I love what you're going there. And Deborah, I love you using the word criminal. Like, let, 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 let's really, like, it, it is a profound responsibility. And I think I'd also like to come, come, come to Reese as well around some of your work, because I totally agree. There absolutely is a leadership role modeling responsibility. But I'd also invite all of us that are listening, and I've, it's not easy, but there's also a, an individual accountability to, it's not always easy, but to step into our own power and to realize what matters to us so that we make the decisions that are right for us. And I just wonder how that sort of feeds into some of the work you're doing, Reese. Yeah, obviously accountability is a huge thing that, um, those of us that are woken up uh, are fully aware of those of us that sort of just dismiss it or not even noticing it acknowledging it just take it for granted i think what mike was saying made me think about the fact that for so long leaders or business owners just felt that the the staff were expendable they were uh, 
you know, you could easily replace, they were easily replaceable. Whether that was through a, a question of, you know, a scarcity idea that, you know, there's no other options for you. So you just have to put up with whatever I give you or the fact that there's so many people who are doing such a mundane task as I view it, that I can just replace you, you know, at the flick of a switch kind of thing. So there's been a general shift in that idea in the last sort of 20 years, maybe, I'm not sure, maybe maybe those years are wrong, but um, as, as there's a, a sort of rise in the transparency about what and how people are being treated or how people are being um, <clears throat> led. I think it's interesting in this current situation where we talked about it on our show that leaders can no longer sort of um, <clears throat> carry on how they did it in their kind of their secluded office or on their top floor. You know, they're now everything is much more open. There's there's nowhere to hide. You're on a big Zoom call. Um, in the past, you know, you could have got away with having a one-to-one -one with someone and, and reacted in a totally unprofessional or unacceptable manner, and that no one would have seen it. So it was only a case of hearsay or don't be a case of rumours. Whereas now, in this sort of thing, people have had to totally either change their realization which is which is good out of necessity change out of necessity is good change out of responsibility and and, and uh, <laughs> accountability is better but um <clears throat> i think this i think that's one of the good things that i've seen that this 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 crisis has has caused i think i think there's a multitude of positive things that we've come here i know that i'm straying off your topic here gary and sorry about that but um <clears throat> Maybe you need to rein me in. What was meander away? Again? Meander away. Okay, cool. Um, good. That's it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Reese, I love that because I, I, you know, what I heard from that, and I think it's such a great truth, is that, you know, in this virtual world, managers have become irrelevant. Leadership is needed, but there is no micromanaging. It's not possible. <laughs> <laughs> and so managers have become irrelevant in this new world. And, and, and that self-leadership and true leadership, I, I think, is more pertinent, more um, necessary than ever. And I think you made that case very well. I'd love, to, I'd love to come to Debs on this, actually, as well, because one of the things that comes up for me, and I think some people may think they're listening to a semantic conversation like leadership management is all the same thing. And I think it'd be really good to get your view on that difference, maybe through your experience, um, Deborah, between like management and, and leadership. Do you see a difference yourself in your, in your experience? Uh, well, I'm trying not to smile because yeah, I mean, <laughs> management is such an eighties word, isn't it? It was seventies. It's totally like passe, right? Um, when I, when I hear the word management, it's like, you know, wow, where's the trust? Where's the trust in the people that you have? How, how come, uh, why you got to think for them and we're still doing task lists and all that. Um, leadership is, is so empowering for everybody. Um, I think, you know, and, and in fact, uh, um, as, as a team builder, um, this is the, one of the best my favorite workshops which I do well, is it's, it's a multitude a series of workshops for a given client a given team where you know the team are and, and I go back to Reese what you were saying about accountability we are individually accountable yes but not only we are collectively accountable and uh, one doesn't exist without the other and um, so when we talk about leadership um, everyone 
um, ought to be encouraged and feel and ought to be empowered to find to be able to lead themselves to start off with and then and then work you know creatively and collectively and find their own systems within a given team because the team a team that stands still and uh, stands I should say on its own and, and, and leverages it from itself and um, is high performing is where each one of them are leaders in their own rights and so anyway sorry I, I could really go off on one so yeah no it's <laughs> very good you know and it's interesting because that you know the language of leadership and management I, I think that still um, you know th through the through the last hundred years um, the bureaucratic system that's still in place right it's tr um, pr primarily it's how everything is organized and we still refer to that that top authority as the leader where generally that top authority is a manager they're a commander right so so while we think it might be a passe word it's still the operative behavior um, is is the the um, leading through authority or that command manager right um, and we still have the Peter Drucker Institute that, you know people are still being trained in you know and we take that going back to the you know 19 what 50s um, Druckerism has turned leadership into a synonym of management it's become the the lesser thing um, so there's you know we have a long way to go I think that that those the, the, that those areas are breaking down um, I certainly believe that's the opportunity for the future is is that self-organizing and we're hearing that from you know inside Harvard and inside MIT and and I think that recognition is starting to come even from those big branded you know testing facilities right um, also known as universities um, that some of the testing facilities now are starting to educate people in what can be and a better way rather than just you know assimilating to the best practice of of the you know what what i now think of as the ancient world um that of the industrial era i'd love to put i just want to share one quote from the podcast that gets super relevant okay so doug kirkpatrick who's basically the the modern modern day fathers of self-management so back in 1990 this is so like 30 years ago morning star this is, the this is the observation he shared with me this week on, on 109, episode 109. One of the observations we made is that people drive into the parking lot, park their car and come into work. We realize that every one of these individuals is a manager already in his or her personal life. So every one of those individuals is making gigantic life altering decisions on their own without a boss. They're deciding who to date, who to marry, what to do for a living, whether to take out a mortgage, whether to have kids. And then they come into the organization and then they die. That's my bit on the end. Like, it's just fascinating. I just want people to hear that statement. That was 30 years ago that someone was enlightened enough to go, actually, they're making, like, human beings are making life-altering decisions every second of the day. They come in for their salary and then just completely just dissolve into something. Like, and I just think it speaks brilliantly to what you're talking about. Is that why would you not want to unleash the gifts of your people when there's so much evidence of the value of the business when you do? Like, so I think that's a really interesting juxtaposition we're in. Like the evidence is strong. I've done it in my own work organization. You've got it all over the world that you, we make more money 
by leading with a human-centered organization, yet people are st they're still not common. I wonder why you think, Debs, that might be the case. Why, why are we still not moving this forward as quickly as we all know we should be? Yeah, and Debs, I mean, does that lack of that, does that lead to the environment that creates burnout? Um, I'd, I'd like to think about, um, you know, uh, the importance of engagement. So uh, was it? So Gallup did this huge poll, a massive one, over more than hundred, over more than hundred countries. So this is what in 2011, 2012, and they um, they interviewed millions of workers, okay, across all sectors and industries, and um, all the way up the ladder, all the way down the ladder, and um, and they came to. I mean, I'm trying to remember the specific numbers. But it was like, uh, so after this two year or however, however long it took Gallup to complete this poll, they came up to these like quite scary numbers, which were, okay, so hang on a minute. So we've got, um, I think it's 13%, okay, of the workforce are engaged. I think I've got it somewhere here. Um, so I was looking at it the other day, actually. Um, yeah, that's it. So 13% engaged, 63%. Of, of workers, okay, these are between millions and right across the world, 63% are not engaged. And then you've got 24% that are actively disengaged. What trying I to think, think about. <laughs> Sorry? Yeah, 24% are actively trying to sink the boat. Exactly. <laughs> and, and, and I can say, like, from my experiences, you don't stay stuck as a not engaged person. You're eventually going to. You, you know, either you get out or something, rad there's, a change is going to happen. They don't just sit there for ages, you know, just being not engaged yet. They either become actively disengaged. And in any case, and not engaged, all these people that are sleepwalking, it's like, okay, so what's the price that the organization is paying? You know, given that they, they, they haven't harnessed what, you know, what, uh, what it means to engage their employees. And that's, that's a huge amount. How, how much time and energy and all other resources are being wasted i i need to read the book i haven't read it yet well i can actually give you the financial read number it <laughs> it's 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 a significant amount it when when we look at um the the lost productivity and we look at the additional health costs additional health costs alone to those um uh, to the disengagement or the or the toxic environments um, is an additional $600 billion. And then when you look at, um, you know, absenteeism and, and everything else, it, it, it climbs over a trillion dollars. So the, the, the effect of loss for business worldwide is over a trillion dollars. Yeah. Um, and also a huge cause of... Um, <laughs> Um, lack of change adoption and everything else is not including the humans. And so when we look at, you know, another $1.2 trillion has been spent and lost on failed digital transformation projects just in the recent years. The $1.8 trillion that's been spent, $1.2 trillion failed. Um, there's, there's, a, there's a $2 trillion bogey on the table if if we can turn course and correct this. There's found money worth $2 trillion, which would ease a lot of the financial pain that we're going through in this 
economic shutdown right now, wouldn't it? And, um, and is that and that that's a that's a um, a business uh, driver, yes. Uh, which of course, because when business, um, what's the the definition of an organisation? Obviously, not not a not a non profit organisation. Um, it's 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 profit. And and as we as as we know, we have um, the um, the B Corp companies that are coming coming in more and more and balancing um, purpose with profit, people with profit. So that's the business drive. But fundamentally, if we go, okay, well, hang on a minute. So change has got to be originates from, you can have all the data on the table and nothing happens. Right. So what are, are we asking ourselves the right questions? And, and you know, uh, and I, I, in a way I'd like to sort of challenge or at least question like, uh, oh really, is it really going to take so long, you know, for things to really change? What about if you just get you know the right people in the room, and start from the beginning? So, you know, <clears throat> Gary talks about vision. So, what do you want to be? You know, what do you want to stand for? Who, who do you want to who do you want to be remembered, known as? What's the legacy that you want to leave behind? Oh, okay. So you actually you want to care for your employers, employees. Sorry, as an employer, you want to be a caring employer. Wow. Because if that desire is there, the rest is, it's, it's gonna happen, yeah? It's gonna flow because then the, if it's fundamentally, I mean, I don't know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just putting it out there because we can have all the business cases on the planet showing, you know, you've got this $2 trillion bogey that's sitting there looking you in the face and you're still gonna do nothing about it and you're still gonna see that same bogey guy a year later and you're gonna still be having the same conversations next year with the same people probably a few new new people um and nothing is going to change so it goes back to fundamentals so it's like you know when you talk about organizational culture you know and i go if i go and work um uh, i was i was speaking with a, a un client yesterday and they want to do um because uh, i've set up a, a virtual team building journey for all these remote teams that all of a sudden overnight with this pandemic they found themselves at home 24 seven, having to work remotely, gosh, I mean, you know, and, and totally imposed on them. And I said, well, wait a minute, you know, the thing is, is it goes back to, you know, I say desire is another word for commitment. If only you guys are committed, but your hierarchy, they're not really quite sure what you're doing or, they, or you prefer not to tell them because you first want to see if it works with you guys and then, you know, then speak to them. I said, the problem is, is that and, and I've done that because I also worked inside um, uh, big corporations. And I worked and I did these workshops, you know, fat, you know great, great workshops on team building. But then what happens is then that, so the team then, they go off and they, they, they're educated into how to, what they need to do, what they need to put in place to become high performing. And then we get to see each other every two weeks and so on. But the thing is, is at the end of it, you've got a team that are that are or are becoming high performing okay purposeful team but they are still in their silo and they're in their bubble and that bubble will eventually burst because the surrounding system is not supporting it so we've got to start from the top if we don't start from the top you know all those beautiful magnificent efforts and those changes and those you know kind of like uh Oh yeah, hug, I love you really. I know we've been like, you know, <laughs> whatever between teams. And at the end of the day, if, if, the higher, if the upper management, if the leadership are not on board, 
um, it's it's a lost cause. And it, and I go back to the question. It's like, okay, so what do you want to be? Oh, you just want to be make make tons of profit. Okay, well, you know what? Good luck to you. I'm not interested because you obviously you haven't you haven't figured out yet that all that profit comes from the the amazingness, the the awesomeness of your people. I love that. I love, I love you laying down the gauntlet for us all today. I think it's important. No, no, but I do. And I think and why I think it's important is because it's the same with inclusion. You know, we've got the stats. We've had the stats for a decade as to that more diverse boards drive better outcomes, more diverse companies drive better outcomes. But again, it's not changing very quickly. So like, and I think it comes back to this point about, so I have a bit of a challenge around evidence-based. So like people like, give us the evidence, then we'll make a decision. Instead of going, actually, let's run the experiment. Let's actually trust that actually we've got like 30 years of data that says like this is going to work better than what we're doing. And then still go, no, 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 I don't want to do that. So I want to bring Reese in now at that point, because what is it, Reese, in your opinion, that stops these leaders that have got a load of evidence as to what better looks like, but they're not changing? Or they're, you know, for those particular people, what do you think is going on for them around the sort of EQ, IQ, ego point of view? What's the sort of story there for you? Well, well, first of all, so many great points. Like you, you guys are all having such good conversation. I keep coming to ask a question, and then it goes somewhere else, and I'm having to try to remember everything. But um, let's, I'll focus on what you said there. So I think it comes down to necessity. I think that unless you're being really forced to make that change, you, even if you've got the evidence, like we've seen, I, I wrote something to you the other week about it, saying how people, hopefully during this experience, will have a those people who do need to see things and do need to experience them before they believe it, they've had that now. They've, they had that previous conception that, oh, I can't trust these people. I, I can't let them do on their own. I can't let them make their own decisions. I, they do need management. They do need commanding. I, I love that you bring that word in because it's, it's totally, that is the right word. You're not managing people. You're not leading people. You're just, you're just giving them an orders, aren't you? And that's a really, really old fashioned way. And I know that it comes from, you know, if you do the research through the history all through the, you know, military things and and how it worked for one and then one person copied it and then we live in a society where everyone just follows suit and, and no one is brave enough to run those experiments like you said even when the evidence is blaringly obvious in, in front of them and, and and debbie you talked about the engagement and there was something you said in the midst of all that brilliant stuff you said about how you're shifting from profit to balancing profit with people and balancing profit with purpose and i love that but i'll go I'll push the push the needle much further over there and just go, it's all about the people, it's all about the purpose. The profit will take care of itself if you focus on the people and making sure that the people are your purpose. So all of those steps in a row takes care of the profit. Um, <clears throat> sorry, what was your question, Gary? Reese, <laughs> it's, it's, it's perfect. No, but we were speaking before we, we hit record about the whole sustainability lens, and I think that'd be a... Yeah, yeah. And I think that's really important, yeah, because like sustainability is important. Like we've got this blue orb, like, and we don't know how much of it really is or not warming and how much of it is or isn't, you know, we, we don't have, you know, we've got some amount of data, but I think at the end of the day, there's an intuitive sense that as you're all speaking about, if we actually come at this from a heart base, and this is what I'd like to get, maybe get towards as well is, you know, when we have this conversation, I think part of the issue, you can have all the evidence in the world, but if you're processing that at just a head level, you can go, yes, no, yes, no. If you give that data to your heart, I think you're going to get some pretty different behavior changes. I'm just wondering, that's in my experience today anyway, is that when you run 
evidence through the heart, you tend to get a slightly different reaction than you do just going through the head. And I'd love for any of you to sort of jump in and challenge and build and sort of pull that apart. I wonder what comes up for you with that. Yeah, well, I think definitely that there's been so much research. You look at places like HeartMath and they're doing so much stuff about how, you know, the, the heart generates not only energy, not only a sort of magnetic field that helps, you know, when you have this connection that helps exchange those ideas, that energy shift, um, it, it actually sending lots of, it's like a second brain really i mean some people say there's a third brain in your gut as well but i think the typical model of the the the, the head brain the main brain is that you have the left side and the right side so as far as i know <clears throat> the heart doesn't have that conflict it's it's pretty much just the right side you know it's just all, it's just all the good stuff whereas in in the top in your main brain you you've you, you started off with just the good stuff and then as time's going on we've we've evolved and we progress and the left side the logical side, the evaluating side, the quantitative and qualitative side that makes sense. Uh, okay, so let's throw this in. So there's like the masculine side and there's the feminine side. And I don't mean just like uh, in male and female sort of thing, but in, in sort of ancient societies and things, there was much more of a predominance of the feminine side and there was much more of a, a balance with the nature as well as with, 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 the, with the spiritual. So since, I don't know, no, no, when exactly, but there's definitely been a, a push towards the masculine side. And because of that, there are various repercussions of various, um, let's say, negative um, uh, consequences. Whereas now we're in that sort of shift where we're changing to sort of like the age of Pisces to the age of Aquarius. And so people are saying that we're, we're moving more into this kind of more of balance, more of a feminine side again. And it's that's why people are more starting to talk about the heart. That's why people are engaging with that new sort of style of leadership, like Mark um, Crowley. Uh, he was on our show recently. Um, one of the four, forefront uh, people with that, his book is, is great. I know that um, Mike is a good friend of his and you guys are often speaking from the same, same page, but, but um, when you can really engage with that rather than engaging with your, with your head first, that's when you start to feel some, significant changes that's when you really start to believe and live that you know people first humans first um ideology it's not about seeing results it's not about looking at the data and seeing um the roi it's just about doing the right thing and, and knowing that the roi roi is is on the individual basis it's not about um the bottom line so that ties back to that idea of you know not putting profit first putting people first that's, that's so cool. Mike, I love to know what you're thinking. All, all that comes back for me is actually Tom Vandeluber again when he joined us on episode 102 when he said their whole business runs on the golden rule. That's it. They've got no values, no vision. Like it's literally treat others how you want to be treated. Like that's their whole business model. And I, and I, and I love that because there can be, again, so much complexity that we that we engage in and we think that we have to figure things out at a grander level and, you know, put more knowledge and let's explain it and let's bring all the science in. And reality is um, when people want to do things, they do them well. Mm -hmm. And so there's this whole thing about desire and desire doesn't come out of your head. Desire comes out of your heart. Desire comes out of your soul. And, you know, there's, so there's this whole, um, you know, we, we talk about the, what, what process we're in. And I think we're in a process of maturity. 
And maturity says, you know, I know myself, mind, body, spirit, right? And, and there is then the journey that we go off on. And, and so there's this self-enlightenment that I think, um, you know, it empowers a sustainable workforce because people show up because they want to, they desire to be there. They will then perform better than we could command them to perform. And so I, I actually think a lot of it's simple, you know, s strip away all of the complexity that we've been, you know, ingenious about putting in place through the industrial revolution, right? Through the last hundred years, we've, we've, we've invented things and we put systems in place and we know these processes and we've got that down. We can do all that really, really well. It's documented. Um, but when we can train people to step into, you know, what's really sparking and driving them and allow them to go run the race in the stride that they already came to the, to the racetrack with more people will, cross that finish line, you know, healthy and happy, then, you know, if we try to change the, the you know, the, the pace and the stride and, um, you know, what shoes they're wearing and who they follow and what lane they run in. And like, we, we just put them on the track and tell them to, you know, run a lap. It's, it's kind of that simple. You've seen me run before, haven't you, Mike? Something <laughs> 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 very similar. Well, as we start to wind our conversation up, what's coming up for you, Debs, as a sort of, what's some of your passing thoughts as we've gone through this exploration during this conversation? Um, no, it was just, just fascinating. Of course, yeah, it's just like, oh my gosh, we've got to finish already. Um, uh, I remember a few years ago, somebody told me, okay, I don't know anything about neuroscience. I don't claim that at all. But I remember this, and it popped into my head when I was listening to Reese. Um that decisions are made on an emotional level, however, they're justified on a cognitive level. So if we just remember that, so hang on a minute, so uh, emotional level equals heart space, and the cognitive level is the data, the analysis space. So we, we can't function, I'm just wondering if we can function one without the other. Um, if we just did things because we just emotionally felt like it without thinking about the consequences, <laughs> it could probably sometimes pay a high price. On the other hand, um, if we do things like we've said earlier, you know, having all the, all the evidence on the table, nobody does anything about it because the desire's not there, because the heart's not there. So I think it's like bringing the two together and saying, okay, so, you know, we're not going to diss data and we're not going to diss the people who love being in that headspace. But what we need to do, you know, or, or it's an invitation or perhaps, I don't know if that it's enough, but just, I'm just kind of brainstorming, is, which is, okay, but what about the people in the heart space? And um, going back to your earlier question, Gary, to Reese, which was why, what's stopping people from, you know, opening up that space? Um, so the heart space is also the vulnerable space. And if we're not in the right in an environment that encourages us to be vulnerable, we first need to be courageous. We need to be extremely courageous. And if you're on your own, you ain't going to do it unless you just want to commit, you know, career suicide or whatever. 
And then so to be vulnerable, because but when you're in that space, it's a beautiful space, but that is not, how, how is that seen? How, you know, why is it still, why is there not that space? So you've got the cognitive space over here. Okay, great, brilliant. You've got more data, you've got more tables, more Excel spreadsheets, brilliant. Okay, what about all those who are brilliant in the creative space, in the vulnerable space where ideation happens? where innovative practices happen, where new agile systems take, you know, are, are conceived and then put into practice. And um, when I was going through my burnout and, and understanding all what happened, um, in an old fashioned sort of uh, poisoned culture, um, people who have integrity and who walk their talk every day, people who are creative, um, people who are um, authentic because you can see straight away you just know you feel it right you know people who when they're speaking to you authentically and all this this kind of profile is very often ostracized for the power from the power hungry because those who function from the heart space they could be seen as a threat because oh wait wait a minute gosh that's a totally unknown territory where where is she or he going to take us? Okay, can you just keep quiet, please? Can we just stick on the cognitive level, please? It's so much safer. And um, so anyway, that was just, I just threw that out there. Oh, it's beautiful. I mean, I love the way that all of that, Deb's just tied back to, you know, your values of growth and connection. And, and I think that you, you really just spoke to that so clearly. And, and I love that. And, and you know, the, the danger of, you know, elevating people that are operating with that maturity of head heart connection. It has to be connected. Obviously they, you know, they, they need to, to be together. Um, but the fear for, for current authority that is, is in fear of losing their power. Um, they already know that those that have, that live with the heart space, those that lead with heart, um, are the ones that people are already following. Like you talked about the authentic person. And the, so if you go into a room and, and, you know, you could look at the person that is the authority and you could probably pick them out. Right. But then you also see the one that people are kind of moving to. And sometimes it's the same person. And I think that's the great opportunity is let's start promoting the ones that people are already following and then we'll have great leadership. Um, and that's a diverse group. Those are men and women, and they're men and women of every color and race and religion. Um, it, it, it doesn't have the cognitive boundaries that we've built the containers around it. Um, that I, you know, my, my, one of my missions is to knock down those containers um, to allow better things to happen. Every time, every time Mike says that, I've got this image of like us like... <laughs> Picking him up by his feet and just using his head as the ram as we open up more doors. <laughs> so, last word to you, Reese, before we get your contact details. Yes, of you, so what's coming up for you? So what Mike mentioned earlier about people trying to sink the boat, and it made me imagine like the different people on the boat, uh, different types of boat here. But you know, there's obviously there's people who are trying to sink it. You've got the commander somewhere on the top barking orders. You've got the people who are milling about. Maybe they're sunbathing. Maybe they're they're doing nothing. And then you've got like a small percentage of people who are. On the on the oars, so drastically trying to do it, and everyone's going, do this more, do this faster, do this, do this, and you're like, oh, we can't, and not everyone's helping. We need to engage other people. I'm like, no, just just get the results in. Don't 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 do uh, all the simple basic stuff like 
actually ask people why and, and what they would do to, to make these improvements. And then, surprise, surprise, all those small minority of people who are working so hard to do everything for everybody else, they have a burnout, you know, obviously. And um, so what I wanted to finish with is just this idea what I'm experimenting with now is more so it's conscious leadership. So it's, an, it's obviously heart-based, it's obviously mind-based, and it's obviously spiritually based. But for me, the things that um, <clears throat> I, I agree with you, Mike, that we, we try to overcomplicate everything. We, the truth is that the old system worked because it was so simple. And it was when we tried to provide so many complex solutions to, to the problem, we get distracted and realize that there's just the simple things like, you know, asking people, communicating with, commu uh, connecting with people, showing that you care, employing that curiosity thing, that co-creation, and also the community. So these are all the sort of, the three things that, that for me is what exemplifies conscious leadership. And I think it, it does what you say, Dave, it employs all three of those sort of aspects. It's not disregarding anyone. It's not any one of them. It's not promoting or um, dele uh, delegating, no. Demoting any one of them to a less, more, less important piece. And it's only when we, we have that collective that we can actually get forward. So I view the leader as being like the cog in the wheel and everyone has their different aspects. And only when all the cogs are working in the same direction, the same purpose, the same engagement, does the wheel go forward. And, you know, the better that is, the faster the wheel goes forward. And I want to say one thing to both of you and why I appreciate your work so much is, you know, what we're talking about here are the things that haven't really been taught. And in the work that you're doing, you know, facilitating change, right? In 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 human centered, in a human centered way, Debs, um, you know, being that advocate for connection and and creating and and the beliefs that come with that, and and Reese, with you know, with with your work with the true self leadership, and you know, the 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 conscious leadership, and even the spiritual intelligence that you mentioned early on, and. You know, those are the things that haven't been commonly taught. And so you're, you're bringing the opportunity for people to step in to that new thinking, that new awareness and, and learn. And I think that's very empowering. And I, I commend you for staying on that path because it's not the, you know, it, it's, it's not the, the, the large paved road right now. Um, you're laying down that, those pavers so others you know, so more people can walk that path. So I commend you for that. Thank you, Mike. Yeah. Yeah. Like our friend Kevin would say, it's about choosing the path less traveled to, and then, you know, guiding, being a guiding light to see what, what else can be there rather than trying to just retract the same old uh, <clears throat> thinking that has led us to this problem and it's not going to lead us to the solution. It's trailblazing, right? That's yeah. it. Yes. It's, it's practice. It's, it's, it's it's best it's pursuit of best possibilities rather than the regimen of best practices nice <clears throat> very cool thank you everyone what a like this is one of those things where you're like no we can do this for another three hours easy so we will come back to this i'm pretty pretty sure and i just want to just add an invitation from my side that as you've heard us have this conversation today we are in challenging times but it's also you're probably not going to have this amount of space to be able to recreate or reimagine what you might want to show up as in the next in four, six, eight, twelve 12 weeks time. So why not have a little think where you've heard from Debs and from Reese and from Mike today and just think 
are there one or two things that I could actually adopt as myself to try and make a shift? And also, could I maybe share some of this insight that I've heard today within my work organization, if that's somewhere that you work? You know, there's some gold dust that these people have shared with you today. And do I cannot recommend enough that you try and use some of this while you've got the space to still see and sense before it all gets crazy again. So thank you. So Debs, how can people find you? What's, what's the best way to uh, get in contact with you? And uh, bear in mind that one of your um, values is connection. <laughs> um, LinkedIn. Symbols. Yeah, same for me. LinkedIn is the easiest one. And yeah, also invite people to check out our, our podcast. We, the TNT ESQ podcast, we exemplify all those things that you're talking about, Gary, about not thinking better, not doing better, but now actually being better. So you know, it's an evolution, just like with every one of us, uh, everything is, is, is moving in the right direction, I hope. And yes, we have permission now to try things, to fail and to try again. So why not You know, be the best person you can be? You lot are awesome. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, speak to you again. Take care all. Thank you. Hello there, your podcast host Gary Turner here. Just wrapping up episode 115 of this wonderful conversation with Ruth Thomas and Deborah Abbott Moulin. Such a cool conversation. I just want to share with you a few of the final wrap up takeaways for me. One was where Deborah shared that does it really take that long to change? What if you just got the right people in the room and start from the beginning? This also reminds me on a previous conversation I had with Lee Lam. Um, where she said, spoke to the fact that what if we just re reimagined, re-envisioned work with a blank slate, a blank piece of paper? What could the world look like? Just wonder if we could have more courage, more bravery um, to truly just start with a blank slate. You know, what are we holding on to? What are we afraid of? Really, really intrigued by that. Um, in addition, I also found it interesting when Ruth shared that change out of necessity is is good change out of responsibility and accountability is even better and this is really interesting for me for for those that may know or those that may not i'm actually in the process of writing a book called change is an inside job and through the research i've done with over 30 um giving helpful human beings it really is a case that i believe that change is you know it's continuous you know it's a continuous thing and i think that part of our challenge part of the the dysfunction that we see quite often in work and beyond is that we seek assurance, we seek guarantees in a world where we are continuously in the moment shifting and changing. And I just wonder what comes up for you when you think about that. How intentional are you around adapting, changing? Do you, would you challenge that we're continuously changing? Um, just wonder what your thoughts might be. And finally, um, I enjoyed where Reese shared that sometimes the fact that he was coming um, at coaching, coming at leadership without experience in years gone by actually allowed him to be free to think about what it could be, um, how leadership could look, how coaching could look. And I think there's something to be said, you know, when you think about when somebody new joins your organization, quite often they're indoctrinated really quickly through onboarding, get up to speed, etc. And there's nothing wrong in and of that in and of itself. But I've seen time and time again that we don't, we don't have the vulnerability to allow someone to come in and tell us, warts and all, what they think working, what isn't working. 
what could be could be improved. Um, and I think when we've got those people that come in with those wide eyes, fresh eyes, without the blinkers on of an organizational system, there's so much goodness to be extracted. I just wonder again, would you challenge that? Would you would you build on that? So all in all, just really, really enjoyed this conversation. A lot about heart, a lot about leadership, a lot about culture, and always grateful to spend time with Mike Vicanti as well. But please do connect with um, Deborah and Reese should you feel moved. You can find my details. You can find my website, um, Gary Turner, G-A-R-R-Y Turner, one word, dot life, L-R-I-F-E. My email is gary at garyturner.life. You can also find me at Gary Interpersonal Catalyst on LinkedIn and at Gary IP Catalyst on Twitter. Um, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Should any of this have moved you or you'd be interested in anything to do with organizational design, looking for any keynote speaking virtually um, or any other support with workshops, they're all things that I'm able to offer myself and I know that Mike can offer the same. And we have the community of humans first. If you're looking for a bespoke solution, um, for your organization we can also help with that as well so be well keep safe hope that you're enjoying the conversations and if you've got any other ideas feedback or thoughts they are always welcome so until episode 116 i'm gary turner have a great day and thanks for joining us really hoping that you enjoyed that exploration on the value through vulnerability podcast you can find out much more about HexoChange at hexochangenow.com. That's H-E-X-O-Change-Now, one word, dot com. You can subscribe to a weekly newsletter at that website, which includes information about live stream conversations, further service offerings, blogs, but also our in-person events, of which we have multiple each year. So I really hope that you'll join us. Do connect with me, Gary Turner, on LinkedIn, and I really hope to hear from you soon.